Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the MTB Fitness Podcast. Today's guest is a guy called Phil Quirk. He's a human performance coach. He's worked with all sorts of amazing people that we chat about in the intro, so I won't really... Um, I won't repeat it here, but it's a really, really fascinating episode. It's we've, We talk a lot about kind of mindset, about sleep, and about the language that we use and how that affects our performance, um, and we really go into all those different things, so it's a really, really great episode. I think you'll enjoy today. At the end of the episode, because we don't actually talk that much specifically about mountain biking, and at the end of the episode, Phil said to me just after we got off the call, he was like, I hope that was all right and, and what you were looking for. And I was like, yeah, yeah of course, it's great. Um, and the reason is because we both know this, like me and Phil, and you'll probably realize this as well, but getting better on the mountain bike isn't just about becoming a better rider. It's not about what you do immediately before, during, and after a ride. It's not just about what you're thinking whilst you're riding. It's about becoming a healthier and fitter more positive um, and I suppose a better person all around and if you can do all those things and become a higher performing person in general you're gonna perform better on the mountain bike and I think that's what's great about all these things is that everything that we talk about relates directly to mountain biking but it also it also relates great to the rest of your life to your relationship to performing well at work to just having an all-around better life, really. So it's a great episode, this. I think you'll really enjoy it. The first, I think it was six minutes I had a look at the time. Um, I think somebody came into the room behind Phil for like the first six minutes and they were rattling around with a bit of paper and like stepping on the floor. It's You'll notice it for the first six minutes, but then after that, I think whoever it was leaves the room and the sound quality is spot on for the rest of it. So don't tune out for that first six minutes because it literally does get better after six minutes and then the sound quality is perfect for the next hour or however long the podcast is. So don't let that put you off. It only lasts about six minutes. Uh, and other than that, it's a really, really good episode. I'll let Phil get into it, but he's got tons to teach. It's one of those where we chat for just under an hour but I feel like we could chat for four hours to be honest it was it was a great one so I hope you really enjoy it please do review the podcast and whatever app you're using because even if you just leave that five-star review or a one-star review if you hate it <laughs> uh, but I'd appreciate the five-star review and uh, that really helps it get shown to more people so more people can find the podcast and then the other thing a few people have been doing which would be amazing is if you're listening to the podcast and you've got Instagram or you've got Facebook take a screenshot of it and just share it on your Instagram on your Instagram story on your Facebook profile because that'll just help the podcast get out there and the main mission as you probably realize if you've listened to a few episodes of this is just to help as many people become better riders happier people to to just improve their lives in general and that's the that's the mission of the podcast to help riders become fitter faster and stronger on the bike so that they can enjoy riding more but also so they can enjoy their lives more so if you do share the podcast on social media i would really appreciate that tag me in it especially on instagram i really I'd, if you tag me on my instagram story there's no chance i'll miss it because i get a direct message when when you do that um, and yeah other than that i hope you really enjoy it with phil he's a fascinating guy i will see you on the other side Hey podcast, I'm here today with Phil Quirk. Phil co-owns a business called Pro Noctis. It's an award-winning humans performance specialist company. Phil's a human performance coach working with a wide range of people from businessmen to polar explorers and from fast jet pilots to Olympic athletes like Ed Clancy. He has a fascination with human performance and I'm really looking forward to more like learning more today. So thanks for coming on Phil. Well thanks for inviting me Matt, great to be here. Yeah, it's going to be good having a chat. So I think, first of all, it'd be great to talk about what we just kind of started talking about 10 minutes ago. So what exactly does Pro Noctis do? And then what is human performance coaching? So uh, so Pro Noctis itself is is uh, it's a human performance specialist company, like you quite rightly said. It it, it has three kind of distinct arms to it. Um, uh, one part of it is is corporate work, which we have many, many corporate clients um, through many different sectors, from from industry to banking and uh, and some of the account the big accountancy firms, and we we go into those organisations and we design specific training to meet some of the the problems or the, some of the sort of uh, hurdles that they're facing, um, and all all of it will be geared around mindset and the top three inches and how their employees can be better at what they do, how how they can kind of get more. I suppose more bang for their book. Um, the second part of our uh, is the academy, which is pretty much what I head up most of the time, where we 
we have people come and spend time um, either at Lillyshall or in Barcelona, which is the two venues where we run our academy from. Uh, and I teach them all the stuff that we do, um, both with the corporate work and also the coaching that we do with athletes, like you mentioned. Uh, and then the last part of the business is is kind of the stable of athletes and coaching clients that we work. Um, uh, some of them Olympic champions, multiple Olympic champions, world champions. Um, we also have a kind of a fairly diverse um, client base within the coaching from polar explorers, like you quite rightly mentioned, through to business. And we have, you know, many, many business people that we do performance coaching. Uh, I think you, you kind of mentioned briefly human performance. It's a fairly generic statement, but I suppose it encompasses everything that goes into how a, a human being uh, performs and operates in whatever specialization or job they, they, they currently are in. So what kind of, you're right, it does cover a very kind of broad aspect. What sort of things do you work with clients on, whether they're businessmen or athletes or pilots or whatever they are? What, what sort of uh, facets do you tend to dive into to help them improve their performance? Uh, I mean, so some of, the, some of the interesting things we're working on right now at the minute, which is kind of fascinating, is things like stress. Um, so stre- stress is a, a really hot topic of ours uh, on how, how people can cope more in an ever stressful world so and and that's business or sport it's the same thing that we kind of look at um so if you look at the the evolution of our stress response um we we kind of have had millions of years of evolution up to the point of you know the agricultural revolution which is which was effectively a huge line in the sand for many reasons for the human species um and then from there we've had like 10 or 12,000 years of a continued trajectory of evolution but our civilization has completely changed and exploded um what we now have is a maladaptive stress response uh, system which which doesn't fit p- the purpose of what it was designed for um it was kind of designed to to spike into action and then you you got away from a predator, it would relax. We we would kind of be high fiving each other, having the best best day ever because we weren't eaten and have some great stories for the campfire. Um, but the problem now is we don't live in a world where we have a spike and relax response stress. It's a prolonged stress um, over many many you know some for some people days, weeks, months, even even years for some people. Um, and what that creates is is illness it's a depleted immune system is stress and autoimmune related um, diseases uh, which is a big problem with in the in the world today so what are some of those responses to stress so i totally agree with you and you talked about originally when stress was developed it's obviously designed to spike cortisol spike adrenaline so that you can get away from that lion uh, and our bodies react in the same way don't they now so when we do get stressed from various different sources what are some of the reactions that that happen to our body and why are those negative we're, we've we've only got one reaction um which is kind of which is kind of weird and it can do one of three things that one reaction which is obviously our freeze flight and fight response um but effectively the only the only stress the only thing that we have to meet the needs of stress or stressors is our sympathetic nervous system and our sympathetic nervous system is 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 designed uh to accelerate everything in our body so it's designed to accelerate our um it's designed to accelerate our, our circulatory system, so our heart rate goes up, uh, breathing goes up. Um, as you quite rightly mentioned, cortisol starts to be secreted. Um, uh, parts of our older brain kick into action, so you, your amygdala. Um, also, you start to release uh, adrenaline as well, as you quite rightly mentioned, because we need to get away from the from the predator. Um, and that, what that leaves us with is uh, a system which was designed for one reason, for one reason only really and that was to escape predators or for us not to be eaten by predators um and and now what happens is if we if we use that in a sustained fashion so if we say for instance we have a uh, a deadline uh, that's uh, that's coming up at work and the deadline is 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 adding a lot of extra stress into an already stressful life what what kind of happens is we end up with lots and lots of cortisol in our system Cortisol is an amazing neurotransmitter hormone. It's designed really, you know, f- to keep us alert and to and to make sure that we, you know, it, we if we need to get small, we get small. If we need to get big, we get big. If we need to run, we run. Um, but the only problem with that is if it's 
if it's in our nervous system for really long periods of time, it kind of starts to have negative effects um, and it affects our immune system. And that's when we have lots of problems. Um, and I think we live in a world where many people don't uh, don't know how to relieve that stress. They don't know the, the ways that they can flush that cortisol out of their system. And I'd say maybe even notice it as well. Like I think if you're so stressed out all the time, people just accept that as normal, don't they? And you, you don't even, you're not even that aware of it. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, when you're in the when you're in the picture, you can't see the frame. And I think it, it's 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 like it's like anything. It's like sugar. It's like alcohol. If you if you if you drink lots of alcohol and you're kind of used to having a fuzzy head, you don't really notice the difference. But then yeah. you, know, you stop drinking for you know for six weeks or two months or three months. And the difference that you feel is just incredible. The same as sugar, you know, you, you kind of cut sugar out of the diet and you have a period where it's, it's pretty rough as you as effectively go cold turkey on sugar. Um, and then when you start operating without sort of large amounts of excess sugar in your system, um, you start, you have this more natural energy cycle where you kind of sustain throughout the day without these huge peaks and troughs, which are created by sugar spikes. You, you can only contrast how that feels when you don't know when you know how it doesn't feel if that makes sense yeah it does and I think stress is a great example of that is that most people um they live in this kind of uh, this prison of stress uh, and it's almost become um normalized the feeling of having it um and and it's only really when they relieve it and they and they, and they sort of go the other way that they notice how how it feels not to be stressed. So I know this is a huge topic and there's probably hundreds of answers that you can give to this, but what are some things that people can do, first of all, to prevent the stress from getting overwhelming them at first and, you know, building up too much? And then for people who are stressed, what are some ways to, to get rid of it? Uh, well, the first thing I always look at when I coach clients, especially in the in business clients, I look at their, their sleep. That's my first port of call to to get some really drastic improvements, and I can almost guarantee that if they're if they're really stressed out, then they'll be they'll be la- lacking good quality sleep. Um, uh, so some of the misconceptions that they'll have is that you know I you know I kind of have three you know two or three glasses of wine, which helps me unwind after work, which is you know absolutely fine, and then that helps me sleep, which is a little bit of a a myth. Um, the wine might help you get to sleep, um, but the sleep that you achieve during your circadian rhythm, your kind of rhythmic cycle of sleep through the night, is 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 without the real quality sleep that you need, the the NREM, the deep sleep. Um, so you, hence why if you go out and have a good, good night out, you can kind of sleep until midday the next day, but still feel absolutely exhausted. And that's because you you haven't had the right sort of sleep. So if if you can work at that as the first port of call and and improve the sleep um, by potentially cutting out the alcohol, which for some guys and some ladies is is, is not a, a, a great option because they kind of like their glass of wine or their beer at the end of the day after they've been working hard. But it really does affect your sleep. Um, you, you can then just introduce some simple strategies, some sleep hygiene strategies like room temperature. Um, ideally, to get to sleep, you want the room cold, if, uh, which is obviously counterintuitive to the way we are as a human species because we're I, I kind of say we're comfort addicts now where we we are constantly shaping and bending the environment and nature to fit our comfort bracket which is a fair fairly narrow perimeter yeah um, but actually the room being cold um, and really dark and that's because of the way we've evolved once again it's a it's evolutionary within within our within our brains and our minds and our nervous system that when the temperature drops I, before we had houses outside and as the darkness rises it naturally secretes melatonin which 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 is obviously the hormone you know, or the neurotransmitter you need for sleep now um anyone that's been camping kind of intuitively knows this because when you go camping uh, you you know you kind of go to sleep at seven o'clock really really easily uh, and that's because it's cold and it's really dark you don't have any unnatural light so, so just a couple of things like that, cutting out alcohol and changing the temperature of the room and making it as dark as possible. Um, and then perhaps the biggest one, cutting out any electronic devices, um, especially stuff with the, with the blue screen like iPads and phones and laptops, actually will enable a person to get much better sleep. Um, that one change there can have a huge effect on your stress because uh, the process of sleep is part of that is to kind of flush your 
your brain out of all of this the stuff that it's accumulated through the day and clean it out ready for the next day and get your body ready to go go again um, so that's one which is a circadian rhythm now the opposite to the circadian rhythm is something called we, we call the ultradian rhythm which is the same cycle but it's when you're awake um, and we we have about depend i mean all, all humans are different but we have between an hour and 15 and maybe an hour and 45 so we say 90 minutes are arbitrarily of concentration and burst that we can do um and that's us focusing on a task using what we call beta frequency of the mind now what we need every 90 minutes is respite from that focus um uh, and ev after every 90 minutes your decision making starts to become impaired your concentration isn't as sharp um, and all we need to do is step away from the focus just for 10 or 15 minutes and that can be doing something as just going for a walk outside and getting some fresh air um you know doing doing 15 minutes mindfulness doing some breathing exercises uh, and just so short 15 minute bursts every 90 minutes actually it, it relieves the stress on the nervous system. It kind of allows the nervous system to relax. The only problem is we live in a world where, where actually it's designed to fit that needs in terms of from a um, from an employment liability contracts point of view because we we have breaks which are built into our day and we also have obviously lunch hours and things like that. Um, but as many people know in the corporate sector, what we do now is we grab a coffee and take it back to the desk um, and we, we kind of work through our lunch. So, you know, we'll, we'll tie in a lunch with a working lunch. We'll go meet a client. Um, and, and what we do is we kind of sustain this high positive energy that we're well past the 90 minutes that we can do it. And we do that by kidding ourselves that we're, we're on it by fueling ourselves with things like coffee and stimulants. Um, uh, and then what happens Towards the end of the day, you start to crash from maybe 3 to 4, 5, 6 p.m. Uh, then you get home and you're kind of really totally wired. Uh, you, your concentration is poor and you, you're kind of wiped out from the day. You have a couple of glasses of wine, a couple of beers to help you sleep. That affects your circadian rhythm. And you kind of then get into this negative cycle, which is really easy, I think. I agree. There's absolutely loads to dive in there. I find it really interesting that the first one you recommended was sleep as well. Um, I bet anybody listening to this wouldn't have expected that to be your first answer. So that's really interesting. Um, and I think it's that's why you can think you know how to deal with stress. And actually, it's the, it's the things surrounding that, that that can really benefit you. Um, what are your personal views on alcohol then? So like, for, I'm not a massive drinker. So a lot of it's a, it's very much a mountain bike thing to go for a ride, pop into a pub and have a couple of pints. And um, so mountain bikers are like, or a lot of mountain bikers are really into the beer. Um, yeah. Personally, I'm not a huge drinker. So I, what we're in now, we're in March. I've literally think I've had two drinks this year. Like we had one night where I had one drink and then it was my girlfriend's birthday at the weekend and I had one gin and tonic. And I could really tell the difference. Like like you said, I didn't sleep as well. Um, and then in the morning, you just don't feel like you've recovered properly. Um, so there's also going to be people listening to this who are on the complete other end of that spectrum and they have a few drinks a night or it might be that they have a drink on a weekend. What are your views on that? Do you think everybody should go cold turkey and have none do you think there's a healthy balance oh, I, th I think there's a healthy balance I mean it'd be it'd be quite hypocritical actually because I, I kind of like um a beer it's, it's interesting that because I've just come out from Barcelona where I've been running our course and and some of the guys out there were, were teetotal um, and they're good friends of mine one's a really good uh, Ironman triathlete that went to the world championships in Kona this year and um and he's been teetotal since 2015 uh, and he was saying that it was quite easy for him to go teetotal um because he didn't really like drinking anyway he didn't really like the taste of it he kind of drunk he drank to get drunk if that makes sense it does, um, yeah. and i was kind of i was kind of i said to him i'm really envious of you actually because because i really do like i love a glass of red wine and, uh, and i quite like a, a beer and, and, and also a gin and tonic so there's kind of any number of weapons of choice that I can go for really um but what, what I have noticed is I, I went about six weeks without having one drink before Christmas on the lead up to Christmas and the difference that I felt was incredible uh, in my uh, mental sharpness my focus uh, my concentration uh, even my what I would say my dialect and my discussions with people were much more uh, less erratic and, and less cloudy. Um, so I was much more focused even in just simple things like having a conversation or a discussion. Um, 
and and what, what that's led is to me I think that I'm going to start to move now towards you know, having periods where I, I don't drink um just because it you know it does it does affect performance so so much um now if you're an elite athlete obviously it's a, it's a bit of a no-brainer if you're one of a cyclist yeah. or you know one of the athletes I work with you know you would very rarely drink um anyway um but I think recreational mountain mountain bikers um, I mean, let's be honest. They're, they're they're getting out and they're very active. You know, they're getting out for rides and a couple of beers at the end of it is 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 probably well earned. Um, uh, but it is something that's, that I would encourage people to try if they do drink quite a lot. Um, uh, so, so if they have kind of a couple of drinks a night, perhaps you know maybe it's just like two or three glasses of wine or a couple of beers. Um, you you won't realise how that affects you until you kind of completely stop so you know maybe go like four or five weeks without a drink at all even if it's just a experiment to see the contrast between the way you feel when you do drink and don't drink and um, because certainly my experience is I, I'm you know 10 times more effective um, uh, but we live in a culture don't we alcohol is an interesting drug in it it's the only drug that you apologize for not taking when you're out <laughs> that's so true <laughs> I think as well you've got it I like to see things on a bit of a sliding scale. So I think your advice there is great in that try it, see how you feel, and then you can decide if you prefer life with alcohol or without it. Um, and it is just a sliding scale of like you've got pro athletes on one end who will probably very, very, very rarely drink, if not never drink, just because they want to squeeze every percent out of it. And then on the other side of it, you've got people who drink every night, who don't do any exercise, um, who aren't interested in fitness. And then there's a massive scale between the two. So you've just got to decide in my opinion where you want to sit on that scale like do you want to be right near that top pro athlete level and you want to be at like 95 percent do you want to be at 50 percent and i think the closer that you want to edge towards the pro the stricter you've got to be with your sleep and your nutrition and your exercise and your training um, and your alcohol and then the more you're comfortable being towards that zero percent which is a really unhealthy lifestyle then you can have less and i think it's just deciding where you want to sit on that scale and i think just making some little changes and going from two drinks a night to one or going from drinking seven days a week to drinking two days can have a difference as well uh, and if you're up for a proper challenge then just try and doing what you did and have that six week period where you have nothing yeah 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 the, the famous saying everything in moderation include in moderation and i think i think you know the, the i think the, the whole idea behind people doing things like mountain biking as a as a recreational sport is 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 because it is fun to do um uh, because it's enjoyable and and the social element i think is hugely part of that the the kind of it's not just about the ride it's it's about it's about the other parts but um but i do think that you're absolutely right you know if you if you if you are kind of if you have aspirations to really perform at the highest level uh, if we go back to the the dave brailsford marginal gains you do have to look at each aspect of your life and examine um i I actually believe that the the biggest legal performance enhancer you can get is sleep um you know the 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 degradation of performance uh day after day of sleep deprivation is absolutely astronomical in terms of the reduction of not just physical ability but cognitive ability and making the right decisions at the right time which is often one of the most important things at elite level sports it's it's having the sharpness and presence of mind to make the right decision in the right in the right situation and certainly sleep is is, is something that i've i've for a long time have said that it's 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 the easiest legal performance enhancing gain you can get um especially you know say for instance if we take cycling as an example um and if we take specifically take something like the tour de france or the Giro d'italia or the tour of spain so a three-week stage race um, where, which, which I know we won't talk about too much on a mountain bike podcast. The, the, no fun. There's the, the, quite a lot of my audience road bike as well, uh, so they are uh, interested in both sides of the world. Ah, uh, right, I thought the, the, the kind of knobbly tires guys would be sort of. <laughs> I think about. it's about I think it's about thirty percent of my mountain bike followers also road cycle, so uh, it's quite a high percentage. Uh, so, but uh, if you look at say for instance a three week stage race, um, cumulatively over there, what's going to happen is. Um, the athletes are going to get more and more fatigued understandably as the, as the race goes on over the three weeks um and that's from a physiological point of view but but from a cognitive point of view they're also going to get more and more fatigued now um if you add in to that 
you know, riding all day. So you're kind of high on adrenaline, high on testosterone, lots of cortisol, especially if it's, you know, you're in the bunch and it's, and it's a really stressful situation. Uh, as many riders nowadays, year on year, I think they'd be, unless you're a sprinter, most riders really don't like the flat days in the bunch where you've got the last 10 kilometers riding at an incredibly high speed and all the, all the big teams fighting to get to the front. That's a very, very stressful situation that, um, so you get to the end of the race, uh, you then have to, you know, see the swanyas, refuel, get food on, perhaps you have to go to doping control, do, if you're one of the big teams like Sky, you'll have to do some press. Um, and then from there, you've got to try and unwind that and get sleep pretty quick. Um, and the faster that you can get sleep, the better, um, which is why Sky have, you know, have, have invested in taking their duvets and their pillows from hotel to hotel because they want the riders to be in the same comfort each night um, rather than taking a chance in a hotel where, the, where there might be not be a very, uh, a very comfortable duvet. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I've been saying for a while, and we I, we chatted to JLT Condor about it, using it on the Tour of Britain, is potentially using hypnosis on on the stage races. So you you go room to room and you hypnotise the riders so you, they can accelerate into the deep sleep that they're after, um, and then they stay asleep, uh, which is which which you could do with someone that understands hypnosis, or you could even do it with uh, guided meditation CDs for the riders so they can listen to. Um, to unwind them at the end of the day I'd say if that I mean that's fascinating first of all in itself but I'd say if above anything else what jumps out is just how important sleep is for your performance I think the fact that we've talked about it for you know 10 minutes of the podcast so far so far yeah. and your job is purely to improve human performance shows just how important it is and um, one a lot of people listening and I'll be honest I probably fall, fall into this bracket sometimes as well um won't either i don't believe the word can't because i believe that you set up your life the way it is and so everybody can move things around and get more sleep but for the people who aren't going to go to bed and sleep for a solid eight hours let's say they get six hours sleep a night and that might be unavoidable um or that's what they decide to do at the moment is sleeping in on a weekend so trying to catch up for four or five hours extra on a weekend beneficial and are naps beneficial yeah uh, okay so this is this is kind of interesting uh i th- uh, if yeah, and some of this is um um uh, so, so well, i once read somewhere that truth is like poetry and, and what it means by that is not many people like to hear it <laughs> okay um, uh, if if you lose sleep it's very difficult to get it back uh it's it's and if you have like prolonged periods of of poor sleep then then it does have a, a consequential effect over many many years I think there is a, a fair amount of science that's that's pretty settled that would link lack of sleep with um, degenerative diseases later in life, like Parkinson's and, and and such conditions. If you have like prolonged reduction of like maybe f- less than five hours sleep a night over many many years, uh, some of that some of my clients that I work with, they say to me that they only need four or five hours sleep to function. And what I say is, no, you, you what you're doing is you're kidding yourself because you haven't evolved out evolved evolution in one cycle of your life. And we've been evolved to have a certain amount of sleep. Um, and what you're trying to do once again, is you're trying to bend, bend uh, evolution, bend what you need from an evolutionary perspective to fit what you want to what you need as a human in a modern world where more waking hours equals more productivity. Yeah. So the unfortunate thing is that it's very difficult to regain it. Um, sleeping in I, I believe is really good for you you know but it is actually better if possible to go to bed and get up at the same time every night so that's what you start to induce a really good what we call sleep hygiene so if that's going to bed at 11 p.m and then waking up at 6 37 uh, then that's actually a really good night's sleep and it gives you enough time in the evening um, but also then is a, you know is a fairly start early start depending on what time you have to go to work and I understand that people are under pressure with commutes and things like that um, but going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time is, is known as good sleep hygiene if you can incorporate that into your routine got you even if you felt that you needed to catch up on sleep by weekend does that make sense oh i suppose what you're saying is don't get into the situation where you need to keep your catch up on sleep yes yeah an ounce of prevention is worth more than the pound of cure and if you're if you're 
going without sleep six days a week to have one lie in on a Saturday, then 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 that won't undo your week sins on the yeah. with lie in. It, it it obviously will help because you'll get some good quality sleep, but um, but it won't it won't be enough. I, having said this, you know I'm I'm kind of like um, I'm on a soapbox here where I'm I'm I, I could have some eggs thrown at me and tomatoes because I I probably wasn't doing that the past two weeks while I was working out in Barcelona because yeah. I was working um, and I was probably having some glasses of wine, some nice Spanish wine, and I was getting to bed late and I was getting up early. So. <laughs> so, but but what I did notice was the effect, the cumulative effect, day after day was 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 almost like chopping a tree down with an axe yeah yeah it got you and and not and the same like i would class my sleep as decent but it could be better like some nights i'll get in bed at 10 and i'm a bugger for getting on my phone and then replying to some facebook messages or whatever before i know it half an hour has passed and i've just had that bright light in my eyes for half an hour which is the worst thing i could do so a lot of it is as you just said there i know exactly what to do and sometimes i can it's not even that i persuade myself that i don't need to do it because i know the importance of it it's just that you'll you'll just end up not doing it so i think everybody listening is definitely going to be the same um it's, it's just really prioritizing it and being disciplined with with it isn't it and just committing to it really yeah 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 and 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 routine routines i mean uh, mm. nearly That's all good. athletes know this as soon as you as soon as you have a routine um before long it just it just becomes something that you do habitually yeah yeah, that's so true. I agree. Um, so moving into a slightly different vein, you've um, you've been doing a bit of Wim Hof stuff, haven't you, at the minute? Yes. Yeah. Well, I've been doing it for quite a while now, about two years. Oh, okay. Ah, oh, great. So I'll tell you what I know about Wim Hof, which is very little, and then you can go on from there. So I know he's um, he's very he's good at um, there you go. I don't know very much. He can control the body to the extreme, can't he? So go swimming in like zero degrees that should kill people and swim for half an hour, an hour or whatever. And he does a lot of it through his breathing. Is that right? There you go. You've reached the limit of my Wim Hof knowledge. So the stage that, that, is yours now. <laughs> that, that's pretty much it, Matt. So, he, he, I mean, he's this crazy Dutch. Um, I, I don't know. Can you can you swear on his podcast? He's this crazy Dutch guy that I kind of I kind of seen a couple of years ago um, and it was when I was kind of, I was looking at uh, burnout and stress um, and I was looking at things that you could do. Um, I've got a theory, which I'm writing a book about at the minute that um, most of the problems we have of today are, uh, uh, are solutions of evolution that we grossly misuse. We take an adaptive system and we make it maladaptive by our environment. Um, and if you look at obesity, if you look at depression, if you look at anxiety, if you look at all of these things, you know, these are all things that are a consequence of of modernization of modernity, um, and and actually to to understand how the system should be used, you just rewind back through time and look at how it was designed and evolved over many millions of years, um, okay. which led me to Wim, and he was doing this crazy stuff. He was he was getting an ice up to his neck, and he was like not getting hypothermia, and he was then he was doing this for two hours, which is a world record. He was wow. swimming like a hundred meters underneath ice. But what really caught my attention was uh, two things. And he, he climbed Kilimanjaro in a pair of shorts in two days. Um, <laughs> but he did it with 17 other people. And some of them had fairly serious illnesses like Crohn's disease. And they were all in shorts as well, um, uh, which which was kind of a bit of a, you know, it's a, it's a model of the world shake of that in terms of what you understand about uh, science and biology and physiology. Um, yeah. Uh, and then he climbed Everest in a pair of shorts with no socks on, which really kind of caught my attention. He didn't get right to the top, but he got right into the deep, into the death zone um, of the high parts of Everest, just beneath the summit, in a pair of shorts, not wearing any socks, which defies everything that I know about uh, about frostbite, about about hypothermia, about cold exposure, about cold injuries, about uh, about everything, really. Um, so <laughs> if you I can thought, see my face i'm screwing my face up right now in disbelief <laughs> i i think i think most people do and what i say is you you kind of only got to go online there's some amazing documentaries on youtube about wim where and this is kind of the interesting thing with wim which, which is what what really drew me to him was that all of the scientists kind of said this is impossible you know you can't do these things this is not what a man can do and Wim was said, well, you know, let's let's study it then. Let's let's scientifically put it under um, 
under experimentation the things that I say that I can do. So they put them in the laboratories and they and they and they studied them and they studied them and studied them and actually they said, you know, this guy can do all of these things he says he can do, including raising and lowering his temperature at will, which is his autonomic yes. nervous system. Um, he he was all impossible. <laughs> well, it should, well, it, according to every textbook that we have, it is impossible. Um, <laughs> Uh, but the thing is, he's done it and he's done it under scientific conditions. And what's even more amazing is he says that it's not just me. He can teach anyone to do this. And it's to do with cold exposure, uh, gradual non-force cold exposure. It's to do with breathing exercises and it's to do with mindset. Um, and the culmination was this, was he was injected with an endotoxin, which is kind of like an E. coli virus. Um, and his body was able to withstand the virus. Um, so the scientists thought that perhaps it was Wim and he's a Superman. Um, and he brought 15 of his guys that he trained in and they all did it. Um, and all 15 were able to withstand this using his method. Um, and before this, there had never been an example in science of someone having this endotoxin and not getting pretty violently ill. Um, so so it kind of, it shakes, it shakes your, <laughs> your, your yeah, mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started doing it about two years ago, and since then I've 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 been swimming in the Baltic Sea. I've I've been in the ice in North Sweden. Um, I've done about forty five minutes in an ice bath, uh, uh, which was fairly comfortable, um, which was surprising, uh, not to begin with for the first ten minutes. Um, and I've got my breath hold up to just under five minutes now, um, wow. uh, which 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 has been incredible, and it's just been through practicing a very and it's a very simple. It's a very simple technique. It's not complicated at all. So it's just one technique, is it? The Wim Hof method. Yeah, and it's and it, it's a very Western approach that we have, where we every person that I show them to, we show the method to, the, they kind of ask the same question. Well, what's the advanced <laughs> bit? And I was like, well, there re- there isn't really. <laughs> it's it's breathing, it's mindset, and it's gradual cold exposure. Um, and what wins? And there's there's a huge amount of science that supports this, and I mean a, an incredible amount. Uh, I've actually got Ed Clancy on the breather now, and Ed's straight away nearly up to three minutes, uh, and he's only been doing it a little while. Um, but the reason why the breathing is so effective is because it can reverse your sympathetic nervous system. So it can take you out of your sympathetic nervous system and into your parasympathetic nervous system within within 10 or 15 minutes of doing the breathing. So if you're stressed out at the end of the day, going back to what we were saying before about most people not knowing what to do to deal with stress, well, there's a breathing method that you can do, which takes 15 minutes, which 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 almost eradicates the stress that you're under and puts you into parasympathetic, which is obviously you kind of have sympathetic, which is speeded up, neutral, which is your, your homeostasis, and then parasympathetic, where it's kind of slowing down and relaxing. Um, uh, and actually, when someone's stressed out, their sympathetic nervous system is, is running away from them uncontrollably. So when are the best times for people to do that then? At the end of the day? Like, yeah, I noticed you did some, you do some swimming at the beginning of the day, don't you? Yeah, so I, I do it at the beginning. I do it whenever I can, to be honest. It's, it's, okay. I, haven't, I haven't done the breathing today. So at some point today, um, I just stick it on. I'll, I, I just use a guided um, breathing um, video from YouTube that Wim guides you. And he, he, he talks you through the whole process. It takes about 15 minutes. Right. Um, uh, and it, it depends. Like, you know, It's good to do it at the start of the day, start your day off right. But then so you could also say that at the end of the day when you're perhaps it the most stressed out after a full day at work it's the best time to do it then um i don't think there's a a, a, a right and wrong way yeah. or a, a right and wrong time to do it it's it's more more kind of fit it in into the day um it's, it's surprising how many people i know that say oh i'm too busy to do it and I, my response is always the same is the same that's it that's like saying you're too dirty to have a bath. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, if you're too busy, that means you should be doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, I can't, I'm going to massacre the quote completely, but there's something along the lines of everybody should meditate for 10 minutes a day, and if they don't have 10 minutes, they should meditate for an hour a day. Yeah, 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 <laughs> right. It's, 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 and that's absolutely perfect, isn't it? You know, uh, yeah. uh, we, we, we live in a world of busy, don't we? And busy is the badge that everyone's wearing. And um, I'm not so sure how much of that busy equals productivity um uh we we we're we're comfort addicts as 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 a western culture but we're also 
habitually addicted to saying we're busy um, how many times do people ask how's it going and the response is oh i'm really busy as opposed to you know i'm good or i'm bad or i've, I've yeah. been better i've been worse but you we you respond with a question on on how life is with a with a response that is effectively a, a descriptive of how hard you're working um and 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 it's ve- and it's very very prevalent as well. I think that people do it very unconsciously. They they almost respond busy with a lot of a lot of a lot of things they get asked in their life. Um, how's your day been? Busy. <laughs> so you know what that ties us perfectly to another question I was gonna ask you, which was it was actually on I think one of the Facebook posts on um, the Pro Pro Noctis website, and it was uh, let me. Yeah, he was talking about language and about the presuppositions of language and how the words that we use essentially, I think is what you were getting at, really affect us. And you briefly touched on it there. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I mean, language is one of my real passions. Uh, you, you, and, you know, we, have, we, have, we, we look at language from very many, many different angles. A lot of people that come on the courses that I run are blown away. By the level and depth we go into language, we, I almost make it a 3D box as opposed to a one-dimensional conversation, which is very surface level. Um, and some of the things we look at is, is something called presuppositions, which is linguistic assumptions. Um, uh, linguistic assumption, which 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 I always say you've got to understand is not necessarily true or false. Um, you can assume something in your language and it still be be true. But likewise, you can be assuming things and that not be the way. And and we do a lot of that with when we talk with with in time from a temporal point of view. Like when we refer to things in the future, we're obviously presupposing the the things that we say are going to happen are going to happen the way they say they're going to happen. And so actually, these presuppositions, these linguistic assumptions that we make, um, and they're based usually with our memories and our, our our values and beliefs that are kind of deep down, often aren't necessarily true. Now, this becomes kind of interesting when people use lots of linguistic assumptions that prevent them from doing things that create limiting beliefs about themselves. They, they assume things that are going to turn out a certain way when actually they have no real evidence to say that it, it is. And actually, they could change it so it doesn't turn out that way. Um, albeit that's sometimes difficult for them to see at that point in time when those assumptions will be fairly deeply ingrained. Um, so language is a real passion of mine. I'm, I'm, whenever I'm coaching, I'm examining what the person's saying with their language. I'm trying to identify what's what's been said consciously and also what's actually been said unconsciously yeah. um, through their language. That's so true. I think, in fact, on this podcast, when I was talking, when I said about for people who can't sleep, like I don't believe in that word can't sleep because everything's a choice. If you choose to work till 10 o'clock at night and get up at X o'clock in the morning, that's a choice. It's not that you can't do it. It's that you're choosing to spend your your time on things. Is that the type of thing that you mean? Yeah. So what can't is what we call it. We have a group of words called modal operators and they are um, they are possibility stroke impossibility and uh, necessity stroke negative necessity. So can can is a can is obviously the possibility modal operator. Can is the impossibility modal, modal operator. Could should is possibility um, impossibility and things like should shouldn't is necessity and negative necessity. So these these little words actually describe they're the rules of our life. They describe how we're going to do things. You know you, yeah. you can wake you know for instance you can wake up in the morning. Um, and you could say to yourself with your internal dialogue, you know, I, I, I could get up now. You could, you might say, I should get up now. You could say, I, I, I can't get up now. I can get up now. I have to get up now. Um, but just changing that little word actually completely um, transforms and changes the way you're going to carry out that activity of getting up. And that goes for everything that we do in life. So these modal operators are, are hugely important. You know, people that say I can't a lot, um, you know, that's a modal operator of possibility that they give themselves. Um, yeah. w- once again, which is a presupposition, it, it's it's an assumption, not not necessarily true. Um, so a lot of the basis of the coaching I do is 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 listening for when I get significant language shifts in the client, so they stop saying things like I can't do this and I couldn't do that and I shouldn't do this. And they start to switch their modal operators to, you know, actually, I, I can do this, and you know, um, yeah. and and I could, I could have the outcome that I really want from this situation. Um, yeah. 
we were talking about this on the podcast. I can't remember when it was a week ago, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and a great because it's something that I give that these kind of examples to my followers quite often. And one example is if you're looking at a massive hill and you stand at the bottom of it and you go, "Oh, I absolutely cannot clean that hill. No way." You've just completely blocked off. You you you've described it in a much more eloquent way, but you've just blocked off the possibility of ever maybe even being able to achieve it. But even if you just change that, I can't do that hill to I might be able to do that hill then you've unlocked the possibility of being able to do it. So at least you're going to try. You're going to try harder. Uh, And then when you keep going to, I can clean the hill, and you come up with five reasons that you can because you've done bigger hills in the past, then you believe in yourself. Um, So what kind of effect does that have on your actions and on your body then? Why is it so important to, to start with the mind? Well, language goes two ways. It's it's external when you communicate with other people and it's internal when you use your internal dialogue. Um, um, and we, we all have a narrative that we run with our internal dialogue, things that we say to ourselves um, that, that can either enable or disable, it can uh, it can prevent or it can allow us to, to do things. Um, and it depends on what you say with that internal dialogue when you get to the bottom of the hill that like you mentioned. So, so, so actually, you know, language, it doesn't, um, it doesn't, describe the world that you live in it determines it um so the language that you use actually starts to shape the world that you have it's it's yeah. it's it's are you the effect of the world happening to you which then influences your language or is your language the the influencer on the world that you perceive and that you that you experience i actually think it's much more the second um, and yeah. uh, our brains are designed to search out evidence and if we if we say to ourselves that you know nothing good ever happens to me then what my brain will do is it will kind of search out the evidence to support that belief it will notice things that aren't good and it will discount things that are good and i'll be left with you know these these examples of evidence that prove my my world view so so the first part of call is always to start examining your your own language about yourself you know what what do i say to myself what's my What's my what's my narrative? What's my story that I've been telling myself? Um, and 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 then start exploring. Really, is that is that a reflection? Is that a true reflection of reality, or is that you know is that some part of my language? Is that some bullshit that I've been telling myself for years and years and years that actually, you know, you know, it's it's been very preventative from allowing me to go and do the things that I really have, have always wanted to do. Um, uh, I, I kind of lost count of the amount of the amount of people that I've worked with and coached that have you know wanted to do something their whole life and not done it um uh and you and you kind of say well you know what's what's been what's been preventing you from doing this thing that's been so important this is this you know whether it's a place to go visit uh, you know it's a, a challenge that they want to do or 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 to go skydiving or wh- whatever it is you know whatever whatever the thing is that they've been wanting to do for so many years but their narrative has prevented them from doing it in one respect or another um, yeah and I think part of that as well is um, is labelling themselves. Let's say uh, if somebody's been overweight since they were five or, you know, since they were 10, they'll label themselves as fat. And as long as you've got that label of that, I'm a fat person, I'm overweight, I'm a big guy, I'm a big girl, it's very hard to go against that and become slim. Because even if you start to lose a bit of weight, you feel like you're going to bounce back. You are a fat person, so you're going to bounce back to being fat. And I think it's really important to change the label that you give yourself to allow yourself to move into that new that new person that new identity would would you agree with that yeah exactly and and uh you know belief is belief is like it's, um, belief is about like confidence it's like happiness it's like it's like many things it's it's invisible you can't touch it you know it doesn't have a color you can't put it in a wheelbarrow or carry it around a, a garden but it, but it does shape a lot of things um for us you know you, our beliefs about ourselves either um, empower or disempowers um and actually when you start to create new beliefs um those beliefs can have a profound effect on 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 the way life starts to happen around you um but like you say it's kind of breaking free of that 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 label that we give ourselves um uh, you know if you think about i am anything that any word that comes after that is what we call a complex equivalent so i am sad well you're introducing yourself as the emotion is sad or Mm. you know i i am i am unconfident you're kind of introducing a feeling something that comes and goes as an emotion Mm. um so it's 
so it's it's kind of an interesting thing isn't it beliefs and confidence and and all those things that are kind of very powerful but still very invisible and and, and untouchable in the physical existence um, but have so much power over the way things turn out for many of us so I think this would be a really really good way to end the podcast with a real practical thing that people can do what are some things and some steps maybe so yeah some some steps that people can take to to start to change those negative beliefs so let's assume that they start to analyze and they find the negative beliefs they might have maybe that it's I'm unfit or I'm fat or I'm skinny or I'm unhappy or whatever it is so they've identified a belief that they want to change what are some actionable things that they can actually start doing to unravel that belief and to start to create new positive beliefs for themselves so you there was part of your brain called the RAS the reticular activated system it's kind of I, I the metaphor I use for it is like the google search engine of your brain you, you know you, you your, your searches go into your RAS and then and then it comes up with all of your memories to to, to correlate with the searches and yeah. um, it's also the the senses that come into your brain your five senses your RAS is part of the brain that deciphers the bits that are important and unimportant. Um, so an example of when your RAS is at work is, you know, you, you, you do a lot of research to buy a brand new car. You decide you're going to buy, I, I don't know, a, a black BMW. Um, and then once you've made that decision and you've kind of been doing lots of research around black BMWs, you start to see these BMWs everywhere and think, oh, is, is everyone... <laughs> And the, the thing is, they were always going to be there, obviously, but because your search engine is full of research about these, your your brains is heightened to decipher other cars and other colors that aren't that, but then notice these. So it makes perfect sense, doesn't it, with the brain? So when, when you have a belief about yourself, i.e. nothing good ever happens to me, and you kind of put that in your Google search engine, your search results will give you all of the information about that, all of the thinking, all of the memories, all the stuff that you've experienced in the past. But also at the same time, you've got that search and then that browser history of thinking like this, of reaffirming this belief. And your brain is then going to start to only notice things via your five senses into your RAS that, that, that reinforces this belief. So we can kind of program the brain to look for the positive instead of the negative. Um, by doing simple things like um, journaling when you've had a good experience, at the end of the day, just going over a good experience you've had that day, you know, re- and you relive it over in your mind and it reaffirms it. Um, by doing a small thing like a gratitude log, which which is from positive psychology, you know, just, you know, noticing three things that you're grateful for that can be very small or big. Um, but what it does is it starts to tune the brain to look for the positive. Um, and then, making sure that you start each day with a as as pos- as as, mu- as much as possible a positive mind um, and you can do that by you know making your first email at work a positive email to a colleague um thanking them for helping you for you know with a project or acknowledging that they're really good at something which is i know is a very un-british thing to do um, <laughs> but what what we actually do with these small easy to implement activities is we start to actually program our brain to look for positive things now, this doesn't mean you don't have bad days. It doesn't mean you start the day positive and then because you start, you know, with a with a, with a skip and a dance out the door, the day's going to be great from now onwards. But, you know, that's obviously not true. But what it does is if you do this repetitively, your positive days are far going to outweigh the days where things perhaps aren't so positive. And you start to actively notice and search out uh, all of these positive things and your brain starts to notice them, your RAS starts to notice them, and before long, instead of being nothing good ever happens to me, you kind of switch that to actually stuff happens to me quite regularly, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think whenever you, a good example almost with that is um, just with the podcast, for example. So when I started this podcast in the end of November, I'd not really considered doing a podcast as such and I wasn't really paying attention to people. And then I was like, right, I'm going to do a podcast. I want to interview someone every week. How on earth am I going to find someone to interview every week? And then it's amazing from there, like how you just notice people. So you'd be scrolling through Facebook and there's, let's say you pop up as a suggested friend because I'm friends with one of your friends. And I'm like, oh, he'd be a great person for the podcast. And then someone else 
also pop up and you just notice opportunities all the time whereas yeah. when it's not even in your RAS like you've said you just don't register it at all so that can be applied I'm sure you'll agree to every area of a life so if it's losing weight or if it's finding a partner or if it's wanting to find a group of friends to ride with or it's wanting to get better on the bike or it's what it can be anything you've got to first actually really commit to wanting it because then you tell your RAS to to pay attention to to those things yeah yeah absolutely uh, and, and and your podcast example is, is is absolutely bang on you think you kind of think uh w- how, how am i going to find a you know a, a different person to come on my podcast every single week but actually they're always there they're always around you but yeah. the moment you start looking for them the moment you start actively programming your mind to to notice things that are interesting and people are interesting actually that you, you you quickly realize that all those people were always going to be there they're always going to be there but the only thing is the difference is you notice them once your RAS is kind of programmed to look for them yeah there's a there's a guy who lives locally to me and I've only bumped into him I think once before uh, and as I decided to do the podcast the first guest of the podcast was G. Atherton who everyone listening to the podcast will know who he is like a really well-known mountain biker it was G. Atherton's mindset coach or the Atherton's mindset coach and this was in a week of deciding to do the podcast and he stood right in front of me in a queue in a coffee shop <laughs> now you can say it's chance but you just instantly I'm like I need to get him on the podcast so like obviously I got chatting to him and he came on the podcast but yeah it's uh, you need to you, we both said it there but you need to decide what you want and then you'll suddenly start to notice the opportunities popping up yeah yeah absolutely perfect yeah really great great story actually it's fantastic when things like that work out isn't it (laughs) yeah yeah it really was (laughs) so uh, i think that's a brilliant way to end the podcast uh two things first of all where can everybody they'll want to know more about you about pro noctis about the courses that you run where do you want to send them to find out more so we have we have two we have one website which 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 within it has two parts which is the academy and the corporate side which is pro-noctis.com um, but also obviously on social media um, we have uh, two Facebook pages pro pro noctis on its own is our corporate business and pro noctis NLP is the academy side of it which is where people um, book on and come and do courses with us uh, at, at our academy either as I said, in Lily Shawl at the National Sports Centre, but also a lot of stuff we now do is out in Barcelona in a villa we use out there. And if you're going to do it, you may as well get some sunshine at the same time and some tapas. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Those will all be linked up in the podcast description, so you can just go on there and click them. And then the final thing, I always like the guests to end on anything they want to end on. So one message for the audience, it can be anything at all. And what's something that you would like to end on? uh oh wow what a question um, i know i always like put everyone on yeah. the spot right at the end <laughs> yeah 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 no it's good it's good it's good uh so i i suppose this kind of follows on from my theory in my book that i'm writing about uh, it's called it's called the, the either the abundance trap or the abundance hole which is um the the our brain was never designed for one thing and that was to have abundance uh, there's no other animal on earth that experiences abundance as much of what they want in whatever context that is um, and actually uh, I think a lot of the solutions for the future for you know whether it's athletes or people in business is is, is kind of stripping it back a little bit to more primitive ways of living uh, I don't mean going and living in a cave and abandoning your house but but in terms of the you know the type of foods we have the the amount of activity we experience in a day um uh, and also acknowledging how um what abundance we have in our life you know the the re- we were talking about alcohol before and it was a, a great sort of 10 15 minutes but a lot of the problem is is around the abundance of alcohol and um, when you've got as much of it as, as you want it's 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 so easy to to have a drink every night um when you have scarcity, um, the the natural thing of scarcity is you enjoy it when you have it. You know, um, I think I think I don't know if there's a lot of evidence to support it, but I think that dopamine, which is our reward and pleasure hormone, would have been secreted when we made a kill as a hunter gatherer, which encouraged us to do it again. Um, so that was always constantly nudging us because we like the feel and we get with dopamine. Uh, the problem we have now in the world is that we can tap dopamine as much as we want, whether that be on social media, whether that be alcohol, uh, even drugs, you know, anything that's abundance and we enjoy is going to have a dopamine hit. So 
a lot of the coaching I do now is getting people to identify what their abundance is, what their abundance traps are, what are they doing too much of, which gives them a bit of a dopamine nudge, but perhaps they need to create more scarcity of that thing. Um, so they don't cut it out of their life. So they still enjoy it, but it's not, it's not something that they do nonstop. And I think comfort is one of those things as well. So, you know, being warm and comfortable is a, is an addictive thing. I think that's a brilliant way to end. So everybody needs to look out for what they're, I suppose, abusing, what what they've got in abundance that they're abusing. And I suppose your advice is to limit it and to make it that bit more scarce. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Perfect. That's a great way to end. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Phil. Cheers, Matt. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, and welcome back. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. It was one of those where you get to the end and you're sad for it to end because you know there's just so much more that we can talk about and you can obviously like learn. I think one thing that was really interesting was how much of an importance he put on sleep when it came to reducing stress and enduring and improving performance. We all know that sleep's important, but we don't necessarily prioritize it in our lives. I know I said on the podcast that. I do, I would say that I sleep well, but I could sleep better. And I think this podcast for me has just highlighted, yeah, you know what? I need to up my game and I need to start really prioritizing sleep. I need to stop going on my phone at half nine at night before I go to bed uh, and just improve in general. And then I think the other thing was the language that you use. And if you followed me for a while, you'll know that I think language is important and I talk about it a lot. But Phil really goes into the details of why, so or went into the details of why. So I hope you enjoyed that. But yeah, no, it was just, I mean, it's nice being able to think back to all the things that we've talked about. I think there was tons of lessons that can be pulled out. But other than that, there's going to be another episode of the podcast next weekend. And there'll probably be a brain dump midweek as well. So make sure you tune into that. And other than that, thanks so much for listening to an episode. Please review the podcast when you get a chance. Share it on social media. And I will see you next week for another episode of the MT. Be Fitness Podcast.